the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jesus prayed from the cross, remember? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If anybody had any reason to be angry and bitter, it would be Jesus for the ones who nailed him to the cross, but not a word. Instead, he prayed for them even when he was dying, and he loved them as he loves us. And Jesus calls us to a higher level of living, and he raises the bar on us, and he says it's not just about a behavior, folks. It's about the attitudes and motives and thoughts of the heart. Jesus never said we could just throw the laws of the Old Testament out. He didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For a long time, men thought they could fulfill the law simply by their outer works. But Jesus pointed out that sin is something that happens on the heart level. As Pastor Gary will remind us in today's message, Jesus demonstrated incredible grace when he died for our sinfulness on the cross. He calls us to live out that same grace in our own lives. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. There's six times when Jesus uses this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. So he's going to lift up the law, and he's going to say, but now I'm going to raise the bar here, and I'm going to expose the heart issue. And here's the first one as it relates to murder. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. That's commandment number six of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, now that's the law. Now here's, again, here's what Pharisees will start to think to themselves. I haven't killed anybody. I'm doing good. I haven't killed anybody today. I'm doing good. And Jesus says, well, let me just tell you something. I tell you, verse 22, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. How are you feeling now? You know, so here are these people, they're listening to it, and the Pharisees, no doubt, they're in the crowd too. And Jesus says, all right, you've heard the commandment, you shall not murder. Yep, we got that one down, Jesus. Okay, but I say to you, if you've been angry with your brother, if you called him a fool, you're in danger of going straight to hell. <sighs> because what has he done now? He's peeled back the heart. And he's saying, all right, now look, let's just not talk about behavior. It's one thing to say that you haven't killed somebody, and that's wonderful. That's a good thing. Don't go kill anybody. But have you been angry with somebody to the point you wish they were dead? Because if you have, you're just as guilty. 
Now, raka is an Aramaic term, and it means you empty head, basically, is what raka means. He called somebody, you empty head, you numb skull, okay? And he says, but now there's something even worse. If you call somebody a fool, and the Greek word there is moros, so we get our English word moron. Now, look, I know God has a sense of humor, okay? I know God has a sense of humor, because just look at the person next to you, right? So you're supposed to have a sense of humor when I say that, okay? God has a sense of humor. He knows when we're joking around. If you just in good fun or kidding with somebody, that's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? He's talking about when you really have an attitude of the heart that is bitter and angry and you wish somebody were dead. That's the spirit behind all this. It's not when you kid with your buddy and you know, you're like, you fool. That's just joking around. This is an attitude of the heart. And Jesus is talking about people who wished that somebody was dead. You're so angry at them that even though you won't kill them, you wish that they might get hit by a bus accidentally. <laughs> Don't look at me like you judge me. You've thought that kind of thing before. Somebody that you didn't like. You've had some wicked thoughts probably, I'm sure. <sighs> but Jesus says, look, you're going to have to deal with the issues of the heart. Because true followers of Jesus look at the attitudes, motives, and thoughts of the heart. Then he goes on in verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, I've heard some people, when they read this verse, they think it has to do with your offering, your tithes, your offerings. Oh, I, I shouldn't be tithing or giving any offerings because I'm not in good standing with a brother or sister in the Lord. Uh, but look, the gifts here in this context have to do with the sacrifices that they would bring to the temple. And the idea is that when you would bring a sacrifice, a lamb to be slaughtered, you were offering that lamb as a, an atoning sacrifice for your sins, and you were asking God for forgiveness. And the idea is that Jesus is saying, don't come to God and ask for forgiveness if you're not willing to extend the same thing to other people who have wronged you or people that you have offended that you have to go and you have to make it right with people. So it's this idea of don't carry your sacrifice into the temple, don't offer your gift, don't ask for God's forgiveness if you're not willing to also be a vessel of forgiveness with others that you know. Verse 25, he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who was taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So in this section, in general, the main point that Jesus is making here is put away angry thoughts, anger, bitterness, wrath, those kinds of things that are so destructive, uh, unforgiveness. He says, no, you've got to make it right with people that you might be at odds with as far as it depends on you. And you're not responsible for how they react. You're not responsible for how they respond but as far as it depends on us, we have to do what we can to be right with people. Some of you might, you know, think, well, how far back do I have to go? I've offended people all my life. I, you know, <laughs> just go back as far as you feel like you can or should. Uh, probably if you, you know, if you spend a lifetime offending people, you know, you, you, <laughs> you're going to spend a lifetime trying to make it up. But but, uh, you know, just in general, just going forward, just, you know, do what you can to be at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. Settle, settle matters quickly before it gets to court. Do what you can to resolve issues and matters of differences. Uh, and so the main thing that Jesus is saying here is, great, if you haven't murdered somebody, that's wonderful. But has your heart been angry, unforgiving, 
uh, you're, at, you're at odds with somebody, you need to reconcile with them. Put away angry thoughts. Then he gets to this other section here, subtitled Adultery, in verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That's commandment number seven. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And what he's talking about here is putting away lustful thoughts. And he quotes the seventh commandment. And again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people are believing that the only thing that God's concerned about is your behavior. That's not the only thing God is concerned about. He's concerned about our hearts. So he says, great, if you haven't violated seventh commandment, committing adultery, that's wonderful. But have you lusted after a woman? Or obviously in the context of you ladies, have you lusted after a man? That lust is an issue of the heart. And he says, we have to be examining the attitudes, thoughts, and, and, and our hearts because that's what, that's what will lead. If you want to live a good life in terms of good behavior, good behavior should be an overflow of a good heart. Because otherwise, if your heart is wicked and corrupt and evil and unrestrained, but you just live out your life in the motions of doing things that are good, that's just false righteousness. That isn't even sincere. That's hypocritical. So the best Christian life is get the heart right, the mind, the attitudes, and then right behavior flows out of that. But it has to be dealt with first in the attitude of the heart. And Jesus says, do you lust after somebody? If you lust after somebody, don't pat yourself on the back that you haven't violated the seventh commandment. Because if you've lusted after somebody, you're guilty of breaking the seventh commandment. Now, let me hasten to add, lusting after someone is taken to an extreme versus just noticing that somebody is beautiful or good-looking. To notice that somebody is beautiful, to notice that somebody is good-looking is not necessarily lust. That's just appreciating God's good creation, okay? But lust is taken to the place of fantasy and imagination and covetousness with, with sexual intention in your heart, undressing someone with your mind, actually thinking about sex acts in your mind. That's the level of lust that he's talking about here. Just noticing that somebody is an attractive individual is not necessarily lust by itself, but lust can be an issue which becomes a sin when we begin to fantasize and begin to covet, and we have those lustful sexual ideas in our hearts, minds, uh, in regards to another person. Now, look what Jesus says here. This is pretty drastic because he says that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And he talks about it in relation to your hand, too. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And I I heard a story about a guy who went to Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, a young man who actually took a hacksaw and cut off his hand because he read this here. Don't anybody go home and cut off their hands and gouge out their eyes. If it, are we to take this literally? If we were to take this literally, then next week all the pastors and ushers would have seeing eye dogs. Listen. <laughs> He's not saying to take this literally. He's saying take this seriously. Take this seriously. How do we know the difference? Because if you gouged out your eye, could you still lust? Yeah, you could. You can still lust. The issue here is not if you go ahead and gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands, then all will be well because the attitude is still the heart. So he's not saying literally 
cut out your cut, gouge out your right eye or uh, cut off your right hand. He's saying, take this seriously. Take this seriously. And then in verse 31, subtitled divorce, he says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. What is he saying here? He's saying, stay married. He's saying, stay married. Now, he goes into more detail, Jesus does in chapter 19 of Matthew, related to the issue of divorce. So I'm going to save really most of that to the teaching when we get to chapter 19. Just suffice it to say this, there there were some disagreements in Jesus' day between two schools. Literally, rabbis had different schools. And in Jesus' day, there was the school of a rabbi whose last name was Shammai, and there was another rabbi whose last name was Hillel. And the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel had different views on divorce. And it came out of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which talked about putting away your wife for an offense. And then the, then the argument was, well, what constitutes an offense? And uh, the school of Hillel said, well, it could be anything. If she burns your dinner, you can divorce her. And the school of Shammai said, no, it has to be a serious offense. It has to be some kind of unfaithfulness, some kind of adultery. The old English, it talked about whoredom. It had to be something of a sexual nature where she broke covenant with you, and then you could put her away and divorce her. And Jesus came down on the side of the school of Shammai. Now, maybe I should say the school of Shammai came down on the side of Jesus, but Jesus was letting his voice be known to the issue of the day where there was these two different schools of thought. Go ahead and put your wife away for any and every cause. And another school of thought was, no, you should only consider not require divorce if there's been marital unfaithfulness. And Jesus uh, says that. He says, uh, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, in the Greek word there is pornea, it's where we get our English word pornography, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I'll say more about this again when we get to chapter 19, but the basic thing Jesus is saying here is stay married. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Sometimes, unfortunately, in churches today, they, they put scarlet letters on people, and the idea of there's a big D on there. Uh, you know, chest because divorce has somehow tainted them now forever. And I think that's tragic that, uh, that there's grace and forgiveness for all sin. And divorce is a sin. But what Jesus is talking about here is to take marriage seriously, stay committed, and honor God with your vows, and uh, don't put your, your wife away, don't seek divorce. Uh, marital unfaithfulness is um, only a reason, not a requirement uh, to put someone away, to, to divorce someone, um, but uh, obviously a very sensitive topic, and marriage takes work, uh, but God says to us, stay married, stay married. And Malachi, remember, he said, I hate divorce. And then relating to oaths, in relation to oaths, he says in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. This is in the day when they didn't have the dyes. 
simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So he's simply saying here, keep your word. That's the gist of what he's saying. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Psalm 15, verse 4. You might want to write that in the margin of your Bible. Psalm 15, 4 says, keep your oath even when it hurts. I don't know what's happened in our society these days, but, you know, your word used to be your bond. People used to make agreements. They used to make transactions. They used to sell property with a handshake and a spoken word. Now you've got to have to have contracts and lawyers and fine print and all these kind of things. And it, it's okay. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with contracts and that kind of thing. But what's tragic is our word really doesn't mean as much as it used to. And uh, Jesus says here that you should let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, now, look, he's not saying that there's something wrong with taking an oath or swearing to tell the truth in the court of law. I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses who refuse to do that because uh, of this passage right here. That's, that's not what he's saying. Here's the context. In the day, people were not being truthful, but they were invoking the name of God to add credibility to their words. They're saying, oh, I swear, 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 oh, I mean this, I swear it, oh, I really swear it. They didn't mean it at all. And, and Jesus says, don't swear by heaven or earth. You know, don't, 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 don't make, don't invoke the name of God to somehow bolster your weak words. Just be truthful. Be a man or a woman of your word and keep your oath even when it hurts. Then he goes on in verse 38 and he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And look, this this had to have been very challenging in Jesus' day as much as it is for us. Somebody... Strikes you in the right, you're supposed to turn to the left, and somebody takes your cloak, and you're supposed to, your tunic, you're supposed to give them your cloak too, and somebody says, walk a mile, and you're going to walk two miles. It used to be in this day that if a Roman soldier came up to you and touched your shoulder with his spear, it meant walk a mile and carry his gear. And Jesus says, and if that happens to you, give an extra mile. Now, why would you want to do something like that? Because you're always demonstrating the love and the goodness of Jesus wherever you go. You're, you're spreading that sweet aroma, that fragrance. You're being that salt and that light. You're doing the unnatural thing, and it'll startle people. Because when you do what is not common, what does the world cry out for? Get even. That's what the world says. What is God saying to do? Get right. Get right. The world's always about get even. And God says, I want you to get right. And what he's saying here, in, in, in essence, is don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Somebody strikes you, here's what happens. The cycle will just continue. They strike you, you strike them back. They take your coat, you take theirs, and you beat them up and take their car too. And somebody asks you to walk them on, you say, buzz off, and you beat them up again. And that's the way that the world responds to things. And Jesus says, now I want you to do the extraordinary thing. I want you to do the uncommon thing. Because it'll startle people. I want you to love them when they're being unlovely. I want you to break the cycle. If they try to smack you, then just say, well, smack me again. Because if you retaliate, you'll just keep the cycle going. And Jesus says his people, his disciples, his followers should break the cycle of that kind of retaliation and vengeance. And it's hard. Because when somebody wrongs you, the impulse of our flesh is to get even and to get back at them. And Jesus says, no, I want you to do the extraordinary thing. I want you to do the difficult thing. I want you to break that chain, that cycle. Don't retaliate. 
Then he adds in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The last thing that he says here in chapter 5 is, love your enemies. Now, I don't know um, how you deal with people that have really wronged you, but I suspect that if somebody has wronged you and it's never been settled and they've never said that they're sorry, and you see them in the grocery store, you're going to push your cart down the next aisle, aren't you? You see them coming down the aisle and you're trying to get some ice cream. You're like, oh no, here comes that. And then you turn your cart around, pretend like you don't see them, and you go down the next aisle. Even if you don't have to shop down the next aisle. You just want to get away from this person. Then the whole time you're going through the grocery store, oh no, what are they right now? Oh, oh I got to get out of here. I just gotta, I'm going to take my few items and just run. Because people don't want to deal with it when, when somebody has wronged you, when they've offended you, when they've become, if you will, uh, your, your enemy. And Jesus says here again, I want you to do the uncommon thing. He says, you know, commonly, uh, we are to love our neighbors and hate our enemy. But he says, I, I want you to love your enemies, and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Oh, this is so hard, Lord. Do I have to do this? Yeah, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to do the hard thing. I want you to live your life in uncommon ways. I want you to be exemplary in the way that you live, and people will thereby see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That was verse 16. He says, when we do the uncommon thing, it's going to lead people to Christ. And we're going to need the help of the Lord to do this kind of thing. Who wants to really pray for, you know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? And when he says that, he doesn't mean the kind of prayers that our flesh wants to pray. God, get them. God, you saw what they did. I'm praying. I'm lifting them up before the throne of grace. Would you please hurt them? Do something to hurt them, Lord. No, that's not. When he says pray for them and love them, he's saying pray genuine prayers. And it's okay to pour out your heart. You know, look, read the Psalms. David poured out his heart all the time. And there's some pretty, there's some pretty emotional things that Paul, and, and when David, not Paul, when David does pray through the Psalms, there are times that he does say, kill him, Lord, just kill him. But look, we're under grace now. We have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We're not to pray those kind of prayers. But you can certainly pray and pour out your emotions and say, Lord, this is hard for me. I don't even want to pray for this person. He's a big God. He can take your big feelings. And you can say, I don't really want to pray for this person, but I'm doing it out of obedience to your word. And I want you, Lord, I want you to take care of them according to your perfect will and your perfect plans. And I want you to take care of me according to your perfect will and your perfect plans. And I'm going to entrust them into your hands. And Lord, help deliver me from bitterness and whatever else might have my heart bound and held captive to what they've ever done to offend me. And Jesus calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Jesus prayed from the cross, remember? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If anybody had any reason to be angry and bitter, it would be Jesus for the ones who nailed him to the cross, but not a word. Instead, he prayed for them even when he was dying, and he loved them as he loves us. And Jesus calls us to a higher level of living, and he raises the bar on us, and he says it's not just about a behavior, folks. It's about the attitudes and motives and thoughts of the heart. And if we really want to be followers of Jesus, we'll take all these words seriously and we will live them out for his glory. And he'll help us to do this. Because some of these things are beyond our ability in our flesh. We don't want to do this stuff. Jesus said, if you want to be my followers, this, these are your marching orders. This is how I want you to live your life. 
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know